Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This week, we're going to uh, be doing something a little different. For those who've been around, we've been going through the mission series, Mission Possible, through the whole fall, and we've been looking at God's call for us and what the mission of the church is, and uh, that's led to a number of very challenging teachings recently. Um, I, I don't mind sharing God's Word, and the things I said last week were true, but I know that they were very, very challenging and difficult for everyone. So uh, since Touch of Christ shouldn't be here Uh, I prayed about it and decided that we were just going to take a week off of the series, but we'll complete it next week. And I just wanted to do something that was a bit more encouraging today. Uh, The call to mission is very, very important, but it's also very, very tough. And one of the things that I realize as a shepherd in God's flock is, just like our bodies need rest, sometimes our soul needs rest. And just like we can really press with our body and, and do things, but if you don't, stop sometimes and take a little bit of a breather, you can press yourself to injury. And I, I want to give us a week of rest and recovery. And so this week, we're going to just take some time to encourage, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 103 today. And it's going to be up here on the screen. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. I certainly was encouraged as I just meditated on it. Uh, this psalm is not one, I'm not going to be quite as technical as I sometimes am in going through the psalms, uh, because it really is one that's meant more just to kind of let you experience the big picture of what it's talking about, and we're going to do that. I'm going to be reading today from the English Standard Version uh, because I think they translated the Hebrew a little bit better, particularly for the key phrase, which is, bless the Lord, O my soul. So it'll be up here on the screen. I encourage you to read along and follow along. Hear now as I read the word of the living God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting 
on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. I could just say let's go home at that point. Um, It's a very encouraging passage of Scripture. The psalmist uh, in this passage has a central message, and that is that we are to bless the Lord, O my soul. And actually, the reason that I use the ESV this week instead of the 1984 NIV that I normally do is the NIV translated this, praise the Lord. And that's actually, I don't know why they did that, quite honestly. That's normally hallelujah is when you read praise the Lord. This is actually not that. It's from the Hebrew word barak, which means to bless. So that's why I picked the ESV. They were just more literal here. And notice The psalm begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So we're getting this repeated thing. And the first thing I want to encourage us to think about here is, this is a little bit of a strange phrase. We sometimes can run by this, but who is the psalmist actually talking to here at the beginning of the psalm? Himself. He's not even talking to God. He's talking to himself, and he's commanding his own soul and his total self to bless Yahweh. And this is, it may sound strange to us, but it happens a lot in the book of Psalms. The psalmist spends a lot of time talking to his own soul and telling his own soul what it will do. And that's good news for us because it means you and I are not captive to our own souls, to our own emotions, to our own desires. Because Uh, I'm sure I'm talking to the right group of people when I say this. Is it ever true that our soul, our emotions, our desires are not what they ought to be? See, we live in a culture that right now thinks, well, the only way to be authentic is whatever desire or emotion I'm having at the moment, I should follow that. But that's simply not true. The psalmist here is basically indicating, as we look through the psalm, he's going to show us he's probably at a place where he doesn't feel like blessing the Lord. Okay, and there are those weeks, there are those days, weeks, sometimes there are those months where I don't feel like praising God. It's not what's there. There are those Sundays where I'm like, I would really rather just stay home and watch the NFL pregame. Okay, isn't that sad that your pastor says that? I mean, that's really sad. I pray for y'all all all the time. Um, But the reality is whether I feel like blessing God or not, he should be blessed. And so that doesn't shift and change by what I'm feeling. My emotions, my desires shift and change. Yahweh doesn't. Our God does not. And so the psalmist says, let's begin by blessing God. Let's, I mean, I'm going to speak to myself here to command myself what to do. Now, If I left it at that, that would be an unbalanced statement because that can sound very legalistic. Well, just, I'm going to worship God no matter how I feel, okay? And the psalmist doesn't stop there because he says, okay, if I don't feel like blessing Yahweh, what do I do? 
there's more than just commanding myself to bless Yahweh. And he goes on and he says, here's what we need to do. We need to stir our soul to bless God. And so he says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 2, notice, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, this is that thing of parallelism that I've spoken about many times in teaching on the Psalms. We think of poetry as something, we're a little inaccurate in this, but we think it's poetry if it rhymes, right? Uh, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. Uh, you know, sugar is sweet, and so are you, right? That's how we do poetry. We like to think of it as rhyming, and it's got a certain rhythm and meter. Well, the way the Hebrews did it was they liked to use what was parallelism, where they say A and B, A, and what's more, B plus. They like to do that. So they re-say the same thing. So here we see, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So my soul and all that's within me is kind of parallel. And then he says it again, bless the Lord, O my soul. So he's doing parallel, but he's going to add something extra on top of it. And here's what he adds extra, and forget not all his benefits. Here's why you should bless Yahweh. Whether you feel like it or not, if you're not, oh my soul, what you need to do is remember all that Yahweh has done for you. And this is a key thing for you and me. There are those times when we don't feel like blessing Yahweh, and the, the thing to do in that moment is not just knuckle down and I'm going to make myself do it. It's to stir our soul up by saying, but what has God done for me? Because very often when we're in the place where we're not in a place of wanting to worship Yahweh, it's because we're focused. Our soul is remembering all the wrong things and not remembering all the right things. And so he says, I want you to consider all the benefits Yahweh has given to you. Now, this is interesting because sometimes the psalmist stirs us up by considering who God is and just consider how lofty and exalted he is. But that's not what he does in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, he says, I want you to bless Yahweh because of all that he's done for you. Look at the benefits package you've got, so to speak here, by being in covenant with Yahweh. Look what he has done for you. And the main benefit that he's going to reflect on in this psalm, he comes to right up front, and the main benefit is he has forgiven all of your sins. All of your iniquity is taken away. So notice there in verse 3, he forgives all your iniquity. It's the first benefit that is mentioned, which is oftentimes in Hebrew poetry and in most poetry, that's a clue that this is the most important thing, okay? And so he's showing us it's the most important thing by listing it first, but it's also a repeated theme throughout the psalm. It's here in verse 3. It's also in verses 10 and 12. And notice these verses. In verse 3 we read, who forgives all your iniquity. In verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, uh, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. In verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So here, three different times he brings up our sins, but also notice uh, the ESV is accurately translated here. There's three different Hebrew words for sin being used here. Uh, one they translate as iniquity, one they translate as sins, and one they translate as transgressions. These are three of the major Hebrew words to express ways in which we fall short of what God's call for us is, ways that we transgress the law of God. The, the concept of iniquity as not only uh, sinning, but in fact being lawless at times, being completely living apart from God's law. And the psalmist here is, is putting 
the totality of sin in view. It is sin. It is iniquity. It is transgression. All the ways I violate the covenant with God, every aspect of sin is being considered. And the psalmist is telling us, I want you to understand, it's every aspect of sin that is forgiven by Yahweh. And it is removed from us by Yahweh. As far as the east is from the west. Now, y'all help me out here. I'm not all that educated. How far is the east from the west? It's infinite, okay? He's wanting us to understand. I, I, oh, my soul, get stirred up. Here's the benefit. You have sinned, and what you deserve is wrath and judgment, but God has forgiven your sin. God has forgiven your iniquity. God has wiped out your transgression, and he's done it so well that as far as the east is from the west, it is gone. It is removed from you. That is what Yahweh has done for you. And so this is the major benefit that you and I have in this world. And our world spends so much time, we are trying to come up with every other way to deal with sin. We define it down. We say it's not really sin. We, we want to try and either medicate it or drink our way out of it or talk our way out of it or something else. Everything other than just simply coming to Yahweh and confessing and receiving forgiveness and letting him deal with it. And the psalmist says, you don't need those other things. You just simply come to him, and it's forgiven. And there's not only these terms. We'll see as we move throughout. There's the major themes in this psalm also reinforce this idea of forgiveness because we're going to see a lot about God's love, God's compassion, God's lack of anger, his righteousness towards us, his covenant with us. And so the psalm begins by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to stir you up. Remember this, you are forgiven. Man, we need to hear that as a culture. This psalm, we're told, is written by David. We're not given the time. But many scholars think this may be another one flowing out of the, the Bathsheba incident. That David has sinned. Psalm 32, we know, is from that period. And this may be another one where David is saying, man, I sinned, and God removed my sin from me. Now, there's other benefits that he then lists there in verses 3 to 5. Notice here he says he forgives all your iniquity, but he also heals all your diseases, and he redeems your life from the pit. Uh, and he goes on here listing these benefits for us uh, that are there that we get. And these other benefits are related to and flow out of the forgiveness of sin. In other words, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. Disease is oftentimes used as a metaphor for sin and its effects in our life. And so one aspect of him healing all of our diseases is the, the chief disease you and I have is sin. And Yahweh has healed that. He has cured us of that. It's used oftentimes the scriptures referred to as leprosy. The ultimate way that that sickness is, is that sin is death. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Yahweh healed us and raised us from the dead. That is what Jesus has done for us. And so uh, he sees that. But it also is not only related to in the same thing, they also flow out of that. When the psalmist looks at it and says that he heals all of your diseases, the reality is when we sin, what was the penalty for sin? Death. And so every day you and I are alive is a day that Yahweh has healed you and I of the effect of our sin because we deserve death. 
And every moment of life is a healing of that ultimate thing. And then, to be honest, God on top of that heals us and brings us through. I was talking with Marty a, a little while ago. You realize six months ago we were in here praying as a church and we did a day of fasting and prayer because we had three people in a period of a couple of weeks diagnosed with cancer. All three of them are cancer-free as we speak right now. Thanks be to God. Um, we actually have today, you know, our church has been praying. We've got my young grandson Brantley back there. Two weeks ago, we were going through, you know, surgery on a 35-day-old baby and going through all of that, and God was gracious and merciful to us in that. Linda yesterday went, uh, complete shock, she was at a, a funeral for a friend, a man who had actually helped disciple her. She's there, and, and a, another friend that was at the funeral introduced her to a man, and the man, it turns out, was, many of you know, Linda was run over by a car when she was five years old. This man was in the car that hit her, and it was her, his mother that had run over Linda. And so he remembered the incident and talked with her about that. And there was a nurse that came up and helped Linda there at the moment. My wife could have been dead before this whole thing started. But Yahweh was gracious, and he was merciful to my wife when she was five. God is good to us. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. Every day you and I are breathing is a day to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, because he has held off the effects of our own sin. And the same thing is true. He talks about redeeming our life from the pit and crowning us with steadfast love. We're going to come back to that phrase a lot. If you can go back again, Beth, for just a second, and mercy, and satisfying us with good so that our youth is renewed. There are many ways the psalmist is doing this. And he's saying, consider the effect when you are in covenant with Yahweh and he forgives your sin and he does this. There are blessings on top of blessings that you experience every day in your life. So I want to encourage us today. We live in a culture that when it looks at right now, we are a culture of professional whiners. We whine about everything. People are incensed about everything. You look at a glass that is 51% full, and if you listen to people, you're convinced it's 99% empty. That's the way we live in this culture. We need to be not that way and say, no, God is good, and God is good all the time, and we need to recognize who God is and stop whining and complaining and fussing and moaning all the time. If anybody has experienced the benefits and blessings of God's common grace, it is the people who live in this country in this day. And yet we whine more than anybody I have ever seen about anything and everything. I'll get off my soapbox and stop ranting about that. But please don't be that guy, okay? Thank God. You've got every day. We should stir ourselves daily to bless God for all he has done for us and especially for forgiving us of our sin. Be aware of that and thank God for it. Now, the second thing is he moves on to talk about God's covenant love and merciful compassion. These first five verses were all in the singular. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget all of his benefits. He heals all my sins or, or the your sins and diseases there are all singular. But from verses 6 to 14, everything's going to move to plural. 
It's no longer just me. He's considering what it means for all of the people of God. And so it moves from singular to plural. And in fact, he's going to remove from the thing that God is doing for me in the present to reflecting on what God has done for his people, plural, down through the ages. Because the, the covenant grace and mercy I experience is part of the flow of what God has been doing for his people for thousands of years. It is the way God is. And so notice how he develops this. He begins by talking about God delivering his people from oppression. It's in verses 6 and 7. He says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He's referencing back to Moses and the exodus from Egypt. And he's saying, look, the way that God has been good to me, he's been good to his people for a long time. David's looking back here 400 years. We're looking back 3,400 years. But we're saying this is the way God was. When his people were oppressed in Egypt, God saw, God heard, and he delivered his people from Pharaoh's oppression. And David is reflecting on that and saying, so when God delivers me, it's just the way God has always dealt with his people. And if David could say how much more so for him, friend, how much more do you and I have? Because your problem and my problem, I remind you, was not Pharaoh. Our problem is not whatever political leader we think is going to impress us. You have a much bigger enemy, and so do I. And his name is Satan and sin that dominates us. And Jesus has delivered us from Satan, from sin. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If Israel should have praised Yahweh for their deliverance from Pharaoh, how much more should we praise Jesus for our deliverance from sin, Satan, and hell? Man, that is what the psalmist wants us to see and to understand. We have a far greater deliverance. And we should ask ourselves, why does God do this? Why did God deliver Israel? Why does God forgive the psalmist's sin? Why does he forgive mine? Is it because Israel was so good? Is it because the psalmist is so good? Well, the psalmist tells us immediately in a way that you and I might not quite recognize the depth of what's going on here, but why he does it. The reason God does it is that it's the nature of God. Notice what the psalmist tells us in verses 8 and 9. So he just told us he delivered them from Egypt. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, the reason I say we don't fully get this is verse 8 is a quote from God's dealings with Israel in the time of Moses. This is Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, 6, I'll put up here on the screen, says this. The Lord passed before him. This is when Moses said, can I see your glory? Passed before him. He said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, the amazing thing is, why was Moses up on the mountain at this point asking to see God's glory? What had gone on with Israel? The golden calf. And what did God say they deserved for the golden calf? Destroyed. And I'll start a new nation with you, Moses. That's what they deserved. But as Moses is there, God in the midst of that sin, Israel has made the golden calf, 
ascribed what God had done for them to the golden calf and said, this is the God who, who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God who delivered you. And we read that they got up and ate and drank and engaged in pagan revelry, which is a nice way of saying they had an orgy. That's what they were doing. As worship to Yahweh. Okay? This is heinous wickedness. And yet, Yahweh does not destroy them. Yahweh says, I am a God who is merciful and I am gracious, and I am slow to anger, and I abound in steadfast love. And he goes on and says, that's why the psalmist says, he doesn't always chide, he doesn't keep his anger forever. The reason he does it is because it's not his nature towards us. And that word steadfast love, I'm going to keep coming back to, it's, it's a word chesed, which means covenant love. It's a love that's related to God's covenant. This whole psalm is related to God's covenant. The only name for God in this psalm is Yahweh, the covenant name for God. And God in his covenant doesn't just love you and I with an emotion that comes and goes. It is a covenant love. It is a steadfast love. It is a love that says, my love for you is based not on who you are, but on who I am. It is based not on your behavior, but on the covenant I have made with you that is now sealed in Jesus Christ. And so God has steadfast covenant love with his people. And so he says, even though you forsook me in the golden calf, I forgive you. And I am merciful toward you. And I will not keep my anger toward you. Not because of you, Israel, because you deserve anger, but because of me because it's not my nature. And so God is merciful and gracious to forgive our sin. Um, that's who he is, which again is really good news because some weeks we have good weeks, don't we? And some weeks we have bad weeks. And if God's response to us is going to be based on us and how we're doing it's going to be like a sine wave. It's going to be up and down and here and back and forth, and we're never going to know. But see, God's response to us is not that way because it's based on who he is, not on who we are. And so the psalmist moves on then and says he wants to meditate on this infinite covenant love and forgiveness. Notice in verses 10 through 14, he says, well, if this is the way Yahweh is, if that's what he proclaimed to Moses when he passed in front of him, what does that mean for us? Well, in verses 10 to 14, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And so the psalmist says, here's what it means. God was gracious to Israel, and he is gracious to us because of who he is. And what that means is he does not treat me as my sins deserve. He does not treat us as his people as our sins deserve. And the reason for this is his steadfast love is infinite, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So I'll ask again, if I'm geography challenged, you know, east and west, same thing with with the earth and the heavens. How high are the heavens above the earth? 
And here's a great thing for you and I. David had no clue how big the universe really was. We, we do. We're peering through telescopes now, and the earth is so massive. I mean, the, the universe is so massive. And in fact, science is saying the universe is actually expanding. It's growing. Well, let's take all that and run with it then. The heavens are higher above the earth than they've ever been before. And they just keep going because that's the way God's steadfast covenant love is. There is no exhausting the distance between heaven and earth. And there is no exhausting of God's steadfast covenant love towards his people. His love is infinite. As great as our sin is, greater is the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Greater is his steadfast love towards us. And then in verse 12, this is where he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin. So because his love is infinite, he removes our sin. And he re- when he removes it, see, all of us who've been parents know this. Sometimes we tell our kids we're forgiven, but what we do is we take their sin and what do we do with it? We put it right there, right? So I forgave you, kind of, except for we're always looking at it, and it's right there. See, that's not forgiveness. What does God do with our sin? He removes it. You remember in the, in the Leviticus 16, you can read the Day of Atonement uh, story where there are two animals that are brought forth, and one of them you put your hands on and your sin is transferred over, and that animal bears the wrath of God and it dies on the spot for sin. To remind us, that's the penalty, that's the death, but we've been forgiven of that. But there's another animal, a goat that's brought forward. It's a scapegoat, and you put your hand on it, and that animal isn't killed immediately. It's sent off into the wilderness to show that God has not only borne the wrath for our sins. Jesus took the righteous wrath of God for our sins, but he's also removed them from us. They are no longer upon us. They are removed. They are sent into the wilderness. And David here says they're sent as far as the east is from the west. They are removed infinitely from us. And he goes back and he says, you want to see a model of this? Just like a father is compassionate towards his children, so is God towards those who fear him. And this, of course, all of these somewhat have a limit because east is west isn't technically infinite because we can't get to infinity. And the same thing with heaven above earth. But God's love is actually infinite. His removal of our sins is actually infinite. And a father, our compassion towards our children does have limits, doesn't it? I mean, my children discovered my limits were far short of infinity, okay? But I nonetheless had compassion. And I remembered, especially if you're a parent and you think, even if you've had your tough times, what's it like when your child is suffering and they're struggling? Man, if you could take their place. Well, the psalmist says, that's just a microcosm of the way it is for us in God. And if I can point out You and I would say, if I could take their place, our God did take our place on the cross. He bore the wrath that was due to us that we might be forgiven and that our sins might be removed infinitely. Because as a father has compassion, that's just a pale comparison to how Yahweh has compassion on you and your sin and me when I sin. We need not be Adam hiding in the bushes. We come to our God and we receive forgiveness because he is gracious and he is merciful. 
And notice, the interesting thing here is God may forget our sin, but what he doesn't forget, that's good news for us, is the way we're made. Because you're dust, and so am I. We're, we're weak, we're fallen, we're, we're mortal. And God not only forgives us because he remembers who he is, he forgives us because he remembers who we are, because we are fallen and flawed. So God may not forget our sin, but he does remember how weak and frail we are. We're just dust. And that's good news that God remembers that for us because it's part of his redeeming covenant love for us. Now that leads the psalmist on to the next point, which is the everlasting God and mortal man. Because he's saying since we're dust, it reminds him of the way we are, and man is mortal and going to pass away. Verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Man is dust. Man is like grass. I could bless you all now and break out in that old Kansas song, Dust in the Wind, and uh, let you all hear my wonderful voice. But that's what we are. And that song actually was a reflection when Carrie Livgren, who was the main lyric writer for Kansas, had become a believer. And he had, he had come to faith in Christ. And that's what we are. We are dust in the wind. But see, we don't think of ourselves that way. We think that we're something. But the Scripture says, you know what? We're here today and gone tomorrow. And in fact, we're so mortal. Notice it says the wind passes over it. It's gone. And its place doesn't even know it was there. It's just like a flower that was here and then it dies, and there's no mark of that. And the psalmist says that's the way people are, which I might remind us when we get stressed out about things going on in our culture or our world, I don't care how powerful someone is, they are dust. They're gone. Their place is forgotten. That, that's what's funny. If you study history, I was a history major. You look at these guys who built these temples and did statues and did all these things and were like, this is my glory, I will reside forever. And some of them were like, we don't even know who this dude was. Nobody even knows who he was, why he built it, and the whole thing's in ruins because as much as we try to make something of ourselves, we are dust here today and gone tomorrow. But that's the opposite of God and his covenant love, which are eternal. The psalmist goes on in verse 17, says, but... Man's here today and gone tomorrow, but the steadfast love of the Lord, that's that same word, it said that covenant love of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Here's another one of these, these infinite things that he's doing. He's saying we, we've looked at it kind of spatially, we're now looking at it temporally. There is no point in the past when God did not have covenant love towards you and me, and there is no point in the future in which he will not have covenant love towards you and me. You go as far as everlasting is in the past and as far as everlasting is in the future, and it is bounded by the covenant love of Yahweh towards his people. He loves us. Unlike man, God's love is eternal. And he goes on and then and says, uh, in verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This may seem like, whoa, we just took a right turn, but it's part and parcel of the thought. Man is dust, and God remembers that, which is good for us. But we sometimes forget it, but we are still dust. We are passing away, but God does not pass away. Our throne, whatever it is, is temporal at best, but God's throne is is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. It is overall, and therefore so is his ability to bless and his ability to forgive. 
It did not matter what happened in the election last Tuesday. Nobody can prevent Yahweh from blessing his people. And nobody can make Yahweh bless us anymore, which is why Christians have to have a parenthesis around how worked up we can get about temporal things in this world because they are all passing away until Jesus comes back, and he's going to renew this earth. What, the, the earth is important. Don't mishear me. It's not that it's all going to burn up. No, he's going to restore and renew the earth, but he's going to do it. It's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. And dear Lord, it's not going to be Congress or something else going on in D.C. that's going to do it. It's going to be Yahweh that does it in his own time, in his own place. His kingdom rules over all. And what this means for us is the greatest man has limited temporary power and can only bless in limited temporary ways. But God is eternal and can bless in infinite eternal ways. So where should we put our hope and trust? In Yahweh. You don't want finite temporal. You want infinite eternal. And that only comes from Yahweh. Now, what does this mean for us? How do we apply this? We're going to apply it and come to the table. I'm going to do something a little different today, too. Normally, I ask some questions to try and get us to search our hearts. Again, I'm wanting to be encouraging today. I just want to let the psalm tell us how we apply it. There's two basic ways. Number one, we apply the psalm by worshiping Yahweh. The psalm began, bless the Lord, O my soul. And the psalm actually ends with a resounding call. We didn't read the last words again. We're going to read them right now. It ends with a resounding call saying, after I've considered all this, it's not only I should bless Yahweh, what should bless Yahweh? Everything. So notice the psalm ends, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So we get this thing that's known as an inclusio, where you begin and end with the exact same word, you know, or the same concept. So bless the Lord, O my soul, is how it started. Bless the Lord, O my soul, is how it ends, which shows us it's the central theme but notice that by the end, like the whole book of Psalms ends this way, the book of Psalms ends with five doxologies in a row because that's the, the movement in the Psalms is always from lamentation to praise. It is me struggling with where I am, struggling with my sin, struggling with my circumstances, but moving to praise and worship. And this psalm works the same way. And the psalmist says, you know, I've considered after I've stirred up my soul by considering Yahweh's benefits, it's not only my soul needs to bless Yahweh, everything needs to bless Yahweh because we wouldn't be here without him. So if you're an angel, bless Yahweh. If you are a servant of his, bless Yahweh. If you are anything he has made, which is everything, you should be blessing Yahweh. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the central message. And so angels, army, all works, all places, everything, bless the Lord. This is the central message of the psalm is bless Yahweh. And so we apply this whether we feel like it or not. We gather every Sunday, and you come in, and some weeks we don't feel like it. But it doesn't matter. Yahweh is worthy of praise. Our lives should overflow with the desire to bless the Lord for all he has done for us. And so, when we don't want to worship, we're called to preach the gospel to our souls until the desire 
to worship arises from the depth of our being. I'm not saying fake it until you make it. That's not it. Preach the gospel to your soul. Okay? When you and I were dead in trespasses and sins, he forgave us and he raised us. When I, as his child, sinned, he forgives me. He removes my sin from me. And I need to preach that gospel to myself. And if I do, the desire to worship Yahweh naturally starts to arise. And that's what the psalm tells us to do. So when you feel low and you don't feel like worship, and that's all of us at one time or another, the, the solution is preach the gospel to yourself. Speak the gospel. And if you remember his benefits, you will find yourself wanting to worship. And I might point out just as a freebie here, this principle works the same way in the rest of life. If you're a husband and wife who are struggling or a parent with your kid or somebody who's not liking your job, you don't like your neighbor, you're not liking the world, consider the benefits. Consider where God is at work in that situation, in that person, in that group. And I think you find yourself in a very, very different place that is a much better place. This isn't just having a positive mental attitude. It's recognizing where God is at work and then joining in with God in that work. Last, the second way we do it, and then we'll come to the Lord's table, we apply this psalm by walking in the fear of Yahweh. Those who know the benefits I've been talking about should walk in the fear of Yahweh. And let me say that if you don't know the benefits of this psalm, then I want to encourage you today, look to Jesus for forgiveness. Because all of this, this can sound crazy. And see, in our culture, we're like, well, what's the catch? No catch. Isn't one. This is the only truly free thing I know of in the universe. Everything else has got strings, but not the gospel. The gospel's free. The grace of God is free. It is free grace. It is abundant grace. And so if you've never experienced it, I urge you today, look to Jesus. He gladly removes your sin and my sin. This is not about scrub yourself up. There ain't enough scrubbing in the world to be done to get you clean enough for Jesus. You don't have to be. He knows your dust. Just come and confess. For those of us who have, I want to remind us, this psalm begins with the gospel of forgiveness. Notice it doesn't begin with telling us what to do. It just begins by saying, remember, he's forgiven all your sins. Bless Yahweh, because he's a forgiving and merciful and gracious God. It focuses on his steadfast covenant love. But as the psalmist has done that and he's recognized, I'm a forgiven sinner, he does move in there to saying, well, what can my response be for this grace that is given? And that response is gratitude that expresses itself in fearing and obeying Yahweh. Notice in verses 11, 13, 17, and 18, we get this recurrent phrase. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, verse 11. Verse 13, just like a father does, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 17, Steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, which is in parallelism of verse 17, which is saying to fear Yahweh means I, I now have a new posture towards him and his commandments. 
when we remind ourselves of God's covenant love, mercy, and forgiveness, it prompts us to a life of loving obedience to a gracious Father. Because I understand, the law of God was not God being bored in eternity and saying, I think I will make biped beings of dust, and I will boss them around. And I will just come up with some arbitrary rules to make them obey. That's not the law of God. The law of God is, this is the way God is. And therefore, this is the way the universe is. And therefore, oh human being, walk this way. Because to walk the other way is self-destruction. It's to literally undo your own being. It is to take your own soul and shape it in ways that are destructive. So when I as a parent told my child, don't stick your hand on the hot burner on the stove, was I being arbitrary? No, I'm being loving. God's law is the same way. And when we reflect on his mercy and his grace and his love, it leads us to say, I want to have a life of loving obedience to my gracious Father. And so if you and I aren't walking in the fear of Yahweh and obeying his loving covenant commands, here's the solution again. Not put your nose to the grindstone. It's spend more time reflecting on his gracious covenant, love, mercy, and forgiveness. Psalm 130, verse 4, I won't put it up, but it says it this way. With you there is mercy and forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. It's always gospel first. Then we live in obedience. Never live in obedience to get gospel. Always gospel, mercy, grace, forgiveness, covenant love, sins removed as far as east is from west. And when we meditate that, we say, oh, Father, I want to walk with you. Oh, Father, I want to bring joy to your heart. Always when we meditate on the one, the other flows out. And so if we find ourselves not wanting to obey, just like if we find ourselves not wanting to worship, I encourage you, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of God's covenant love. Now we're going to come to the table of blessing. And I'm calling this table the table of blessing this morning because it reminds us of the blessings of the gospel. We come to this table because Christ was sacrificed for us. The reason your sins and my sins are forgiven and removed is because Christ was broken for us. In him, we are forgiven, we are free, and we are blessed. And so this is the table of blessing because it reminds us that it is broken body and it is shed blood that brings us every blessing of God. It's also the table of blessing because here it reminds us, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's kind of a funny thing that we normally think of blessing as being what comes from Yahweh to us, but we're called to bless Yahweh, not to give to him, but to offer worship back to him. And when we consider broken body and shed blood, when we consider that we have been forgiven, the response back needs to be, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm, I'm recognizing his benefits. In gratitude, we worship with our mouth, and then we go out and we worship with our lives. So we're going to come to this table of blessing. And I encourage you, 
Meditate on all you've been given. And then, bless the Lord in my soul. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning we come to this table, and we believe and we celebrate that it is the table of blessing. Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us the gospel. Broken body, shed blood, that we might be forgiven and blessed. And Father, as you reveal that to us, would you draw our hearts to bless you with all of our soul, with all of our inmost being. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you get the elements, please hold on to them. We will take them together. If you are a visitor here today, you do not have to be a member of Bay Ridge Christian Church to uh, participate in this. You do have to believe the gospel I've been talking about today, that sins forgiven are based on nothing other than our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. If you believe that, we encourage you to join with us today as we eat. If you don't, just let the elements pass uh, because they really are a covenant meal for believers. But if you do, please join with us in the Lord's table. Jesus, as I come to your table today, I recognize that it is true, you alone are holy. This very week, Lord, I have sinned in my mind, with my mouth, with my hands. Lord, I have fallen short of your glory. I have desired that which you have told me not to, placed inordinate desire, even in areas where it was allowed. Father, I have sinned and fallen short. Father, I come to this table because my hope is in the broken body of Jesus Christ. Lord, as I have stirred my soul and reminded it in your word this morning, it is your graciousness, your compassion, your mercy, your steadfast love that is the basis of of my forgiveness. Jesus, in taking this bread, we profess this morning that our only hope of salvation is that you lived in perfect obedience for us, working righteousness, and then you died as the perfect sacrifice. Your body was broken that we might be healed. You were placed under the curse that we might be blessed. You were broken that we might receive forgiveness and so that all of our diseases would be healed. And we thank you for that. And in eating this morning, we eat in faith, proclaiming our only hope of salvation is you, O Jesus Christ. Take and eat. And Lord, we lift up this cup, the cup of thanksgiving, 
for which we bless you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10. Lord, we bless you this morning because Jesus has died for us. We bless you that the covenant is secured because of his blood. And Lord, we bless you with our mouths and we desire to bless you with our lives this week. Father, because we are secure in our salvation, because of the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, we desire to live out of gratitude. So Lord, we pray this week that as those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we would live lives of grateful obedience to you, O our loving Father. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would seal us by the blood of Christ so that we would be obedient to you. We ask in Jesus' name, take and eat. Holy Spirit, as we have considered the living word of God this morning, as we have looked and seen all of the benefits that the Father has given, that the Son has secured, and that you have applied in our lives. Spirit of the living God, I ask this week that you would stir us up, that we would remember all of these benefits, and that out of that, there would arise out of us every day a desire to worship you, that there would arise out of us a desire to walk in the fear of Yahweh for your glory and for our good. Spirit, I pray that you would take the words we have sang, the prayers we have prayed, as we have opened the word of God and we have come to this table, I pray you would fasten it to our souls. That we would be shaped, we would be molded as people who are grateful, people who are those who receive and live in the blessing of the gospel, that we would be gospel people. And that out of that, Lord, we would live lives of loving, grateful obedience to you. I ask that you would do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to give a benediction out of Jude, the second verse. In the book of Jude, I encourage you to receive now the blessing of your compassionate Father. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Go in the peace and grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.